Do, 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 do. Are we making a podcast? We are making a podcast. I'm Anna Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Up first this week, we have food director Carla Lolly Music talking to senior associate food editor Molly Boz about salad. And you might be like, salad? Really? That's it? Well, maybe you're like us at BA and you go out to dinner and you notice that actually the most interesting, exciting, delicious things on the menu are salads these days. So we wondered what were chefs doing to make these creations so multi-layered and interesting and surprising. Turns out a lot. Carla and Molly go deep on the rules, ideas, and recipes that will up your salad-making game to the level of the pros. And then after that, I chat with senior food editor Andy Baragani about herbs because uh, I think I call him the doctor of herbs or doctor herbs. And he corrected me that he's the prince of herbs, but the guy knows his herbs, uh, is always cooking with them, always minting and chopping and tearing. So he gives us some tips for buying herbs, how to wash and store them, and what you should be doing with them because you're probably not doing enough. Oh, and finally, one more thing. If you want to go check out another great Condé Nast podcast, go give a listen to Corporate Lunch by the guys over at GQ and GQ Style. Uh, I was on this week talking about um, iced coffee and double-breasted suit jackets and sort of everything in between. Uh, That is Corporate Lunch by GQ Style. All right, now let's go to the show. Molly. Yes, Carla? I brought you here today to talk about yesterday's news. Salad. Salad. (laughs) So... There's an epic salad story that came out in our April issue. It is now May. Yeah. So I don't know what happens, where where the time goes. <laughs> but the good news is it's still salad season. It's just the beginning, really. It really is, because when April issue comes out, it's actually March. Yeah, and it's a fake season that we don't care about. Well, we... There's nothing happening in March. Come on. <laughs> not in New York City. Yeah. Oh, it's sorry. Like That's a where we are. Sad town here, but California March actually is the beginning of something. Oh yeah. You were telling me the other day that like tomatoes are happening in the rest oh, of the country right now, and that oh, we should be making tomato content. And it blew should. my mind. May should be for tomatoes, but spring is for salads. That that much I know. And you wrote an epic salad story mm. with many epic salad recipes. Mm. And I think some people might say, salad, salad. What? How could you possibly do a whole multi-page story on salad? Salad's just salad. But we don't think about it that way. And so my first question to you is, what? what is a salad? Let's see. A salad is a opportunity for vibrancy Okay. in a meal. Great. It is an opportunity to be the star of a meal. Sure. Big, the big or salad. a supporting actor actress. Right. Remember when Ellen on um, Elaine, I mean, on Seinfeld, she used to always be like, "I just want a big salad." Uh, Why is that so hard? It's not so hard. There's the big. What is it called? The dinner salad. Yeah. With radicchio and roasted sweet potatoes in this issue. So, what does a salad have to have to qualify as a salad? And don't say carrot ribbons. No, I mean it doesn't even need to have lettuce, which is something that we talk about. That's I think it needs to be at least partially raw. Okay. Right? Sure. I'm asking you, man. Well, I'm just, I need a gut check here. There can be cooked elements, and in fact, sometimes it's better if there are, i.e. a roasted sweet potato or a boiled egg, but there definitely has to be a raw element. Doesn't have to be a leaf, doesn't right. have to be green, could be a raw shaved vegetable. Right. So, so a salad doesn't have to be leafy but it should have something raw. It could include cooked things. And in fact, sometimes that will improve it. And it needs to be dressed. It needs to be dressed. And it it might be the star of the show, or it could be a supporting extras. Yeah. Yeah. That feels salad-y to me. So when you look at it that way, there's way beyond like leafy greens. Oh yeah, big time. Even though leafy greens is kind of the way in. Right. Right? So flip to 
Where's Simplest Greens in this issue? Well, it's the big, it's the oh, cover it's the girl. Cover, I mean, it's obviously. the, what's it called? The centerfold. And I feel like this story, the idea behind this story, this was one of the, the presentation of a tower of greens was part of the pitch meeting, I think. Yeah, it was part of the inspos that we were seeing these beautiful towering salads out at restaurants and they were often turning out to be the stars of the show as I mentioned earlier, and why, what is happening in the world right now and why are we so into salad? Why are we piling salad up as opposed to just tossing it in a bowl like always? That's a great question. <laughs> is it more fun to eat that way? It's more beautiful that way. Do you think a salad is more delicious when you eat it with your hands? No. Oh, God. All right. What if it's like wet? Conversation over. Wet. You want to eat like a wet vinegar, vinaigrette soaked salad with your hands? Every single bite of it? Kind of. I get it when it's like something with a sturdy, crunchy veg. Like I would hand salad the shite out of a Caesar. <laughs> okay. But I'm not going to hand salad <laughs> the simple greens with tender herbs. Oh, I would like to eat that salad with my hands. Okay. But that's another story. <laughs> You've, you do need to use your hands to pile them into this beautiful tower. And you need to use your hands to dress them. Okay. So let's just talk about this salad, which happens to be a tower of leafy greens with a delicious dressing and a hand-tossed situation. <laughs> so if you are going to make just quintessential leafy green salad, what what are the rules? Tender lettuces. Great. So nothing too tough and hearty because you want to be able to really lightly dress them and not have to massage them and overdress them. Can you give me an example of a tender green? A bib, a butter, a baby, arugula, a mature arugula. Um, Would you count like the red leaf, red leaf and yeah, green leaf? Okay, totally. they're pretty tender. Those are tender. So not iceberg, romaine heart, cabbages. Escaroles, none of those. radicchio. No. No. Endive. That's not your everyday green salad. Got it. Okay, so we've got your Boston's, your bibs. Your butters, your babies, <laughs> your frillies, your green leafies, your red leaves. Yeah, your tender babes. And this seems to have not only that, but I spy some herbs in this you salad. Do. You do. You don't say. I do. So what's up with that? Well, I think that we should be treating our herbs like our tender lettuces. They are tender leaves. Hmm. And so why treat them any differently? And they bring a lot of flavor to an otherwise boring mix of tender lettuces okay so a tender herb is also n not on the rosemary sage thyme oregano end of the spectrum but we're talking our fluffy parsley's cilantro yeah why not mint yep basil dill, dill. okay so those can tarragon chive wow they all get to come to the salad party definitely okay so you have your tender lettuces you have your tender leafy herbs and then talk to me about how you came to the the everyday vinaigrette so I forget who taught me this many years ago but I was at some demonstration a chef demo and someone was making a vinaigrette and she she pulled out red wine vinegar white wine vinegar champagne vinegar and a lemon wow and made a mix of all of them and then did two parts oil to one part vinegar with all four of those acidic elements together. And it okay, kind of blew so my mind. Two parts oil to one part acidic. So that's a two to one. Two to one, which is very different from when I was in culinary school. Was it, it was three to one. Three to one, yeah. Where it was three that's parts oil, one part acid, which was just a much more, you know, just less acidic, heavier, a little bit fattier, richer kind yeah. of a dressing. So, so you you leaned into the two to one ratio. Yeah, I think almost all the recipes in here will have the two to one ratio. And then this mix of vinegars. Yeah, I just realized that the dressing could be that much more dynamic if you introduced a couple, even two. There's no rule to it. So now at home when I make dressings, if I have a red and a white wine vinegar at my fingertips I'll use that or I have half of a lemon and then I'll reach for one of my vinegars and put them together or like a little bit of lemon zest in there as well mm. just compiling a couple of different flavors together and the vinegar makes for a much more interesting dressing I think and there's really no rules around that like if I think most people on their kind of their their countertop 
caddy with their oils and their vinegars probably have a couple like red wine and cider vin or rice rice vin and white wine vin I would say there are no rules with that wow so you're just blending is the thing yeah okay so just keep your ratio to two Two parts oil to one part acid which could be a mix of these acidic ingredients the vinegars the fresh Lemon juice. What about lime juice? Totally. Oh, lime juice gets to come too. Yeah. And the other thing that's in this dressing is a little bit of mustard Mm -hmm. and a little bit of honey. Okay. What's the the point? So the mustard, it's a pretty negligible amount, but it helps emulsify the dressing so that it gets nice and thick and creamy and doesn't have that like broken oily vinaigrette feeling on your palate. And then the honey is just there to balance out all of that acidity since we now have a more acidic leaning vinaigrette it's kind of nice to have like a little bit of sweetness there to take off the edge okay and that is starting to make total sense in terms of like a rounded flavor so instead of just balancing like fat and acid for the whole entire world who has read salt fat acid heat or heard about it or watched the shows the other elements in the taste palette it's not just fat and acid but having that sweetness right for for balance instead of just adding more fatty ingredients right so replacing some of the fat and then the mustard also has like bitterness more salt a little bit of heat more vinegar more and yeah and some heat and some tang okay and then salting and peppering yeah and so this is your vinaigrette that now you just you mix it up you have it in the fridge all the time yeah really I do have a jar of it at home from development. <laughs> but I, I mean, I feel like when I was little, my parents used to make like a balsamic vinaigrette mm-hmm. that was always like broken on the countertop with yes. maybe like some grated garlic or like some clumpy totally. mustard. Uh-huh. God, like grainy mustard. mustard. Yeah. So my mom makes her vinaigrette that has been also a staple in my household, also left at room temperature. Yeah. And it's been in the same, like, glass bottle for my entire life. It's basically, like, she makes it in these big it batches. It still exists. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, sh- it has shallot. Uh-huh. It might have a little garlic. And now that I'm thinking about it, when she showed me or, like, sort of walked me through it, one one of those times that I was, like, oh, what if I needed to be self-dependent and make my own vinaigrette? Mm-hmm. Um, she combines usually red wine vinegar and a little bit of balsamic, which is just so funny because See, balsamic you knew. would not like in this balsamic's not coming up a lot. Like in these are world. over, yeah. But it makes sense in this blending of vinaigrette Wait, scenario. Does she have? a sweetening agent in hers there's no i think the balsamic is playing that yeah, part and I there's right. um definitely mustard and a lot of salt and pepper yeah and she makes it in the food processor and kind of just tastes as she goes but there's something about when you get to the sort of the bottom of the bottle and it's more shallity mm. down there it's like it's like a mignonette down there it's pretty yeah it really is <laughs> okay so that is if you're just you just want to throw together your quick salad we also talk about salad washing, which I think befuddles a lot of people. And I have to say, I really, I, I'm very loyal to this brand and I really get behind our content. There is something in our salad washing instructions that I really disagree with. Oh my God. Wait. So everything it- is good as far as like, you should have a salad spinner. You fill your salad bowl with the cold water. You yep. put your greens in, but I don't lower my greens in in the basket. Yeah, she's giving me a look. You you can't run the water over the greens. I don't. I fill the bowl. Uh, then I put the lettuces into the water. The Where's basket, the basket? Yeah, it's on the side right now. You're doing extra work. No, I'm not because then I lift from underneath my greens, right? Because yeah. your silt and your dirt has gone down to the bottom. So you want to like lift up from the top not pour out obviously but then I lift my greens out and I put them in the basket because I have always felt that if you put the basket in the water and then you put the greens in the basket when you lift the basket up you create this like undertow okay and it pulls (laughs) oh my god and you're crushing your greens no it just pulls the silt into the basket with the you've created this like 
undertow wave as you lift the basket out. And okay. Walk. <laughs> well, I've never had that problem, and I've had perfectly clean greens my whole life, okay. and I do the this way. Okay, so, so the I way think- that Bon Appetit says to do it is to put fill the salad spinner with the water, put the basket in the water with the greens in the basket in the in the basket. Put the greens in the basket and then swish and around. Then a swooshy swoosh, yeah, with the hands. Got always it. with the hands. Always with the hands. And then you're p- picking up the basket. Yep. To drain, then you dump your water out and then you spin. Yeah. Okay. Well, we agree a little bit on the middle part. Yeah. We agree on the necessity for clean greens. And the necessity of having a salad spinner. Yeah, oh my God. Which also- Life changer. Did you grow up with a salad spinner? Yeah, a pretty dysfunctional one, but yes. (laughs) It it was weird. It was like, it had this orange top, and I think it was one of those where you had to pump on it, but they were always always broken and making like weird, like had the breaking noise. I don't know. I love this- you salad like the spinner. Pump. Okay, so the one that we recommend is the Xylus with the, it's called the Easy Spin Salad Spinner. And it's the one that has the pulley, the yeah. like rope pulley, and that makes the turning. I have the pumper, but oh. it is broken. <laughs> yeah, they always break. And, and I feel like you get really good leverage with the pulley. It's like starting a uh, lawnmower. Got it. Which I also had to do growing up. Wow, this is a real trip down memory lane for me. Salad is part of our lives. Yeah. You know? It's not like a new, it's not a new thing. No. No. There is something new though also in this story that um, I was very obsessed with and it is part of the dinner salad with radicchio and roasted sweet potatoes, which really is like a main course salad. But the thing, this is the one with the roasted cashew dressing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This dressing makes me crazy. (laughs) Can why? you talk to us about this dressing? Because it's why is everyone going bananas for this dressing? Did you not go bananas for? I the mean, dressing? I love. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it. talk us through it. All right. So it's part of our conversation when we were talking about the scope of all of the kinds of salads that are out there in the world that we might want to feature. Um, was a Caesar, but an alt Caesar. So we're seeing that in a lot of restaurants. There's vegan Caesars. A lot of them are nut-based. And yeah. so that was kind of the inspiration behind it. But I'm kind of a Caesar purist, okay. a sea purist, if okay. you will. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to go the nutritional yeast, like nori, untoasted cashew route. Okay. That Sorry sounds more hating. vegan ranchy to me. Yeah. Well, I feel like black pepper, mustard, Raw cashew, nut yeast, those are like kind of all the garlic flavors of a vegan Caesar that I've had out in the world, and they're delicious. But I decided that, well, first of all, I don't think that raw cashews are very delicious, so why not toast them first? Okay. That ties into Toasty Topper, which we will get to that in a moment. little foreshadowing, everyone. Um, And so... You develop a huge amount of flavor right off the bat by starting with a roasted cashew versus a raw one as your base. So the cashew in this dressing, and this is a spicy-ish dressing, is replacing some of the fat. Okay, so the cashew is kind of playing the part of the the oil. Okay, and the cheese? No, I would say the fish sauce is playing the part of the cheese here. Well, it's not vegan if it has fish sauce. Oh, I didn't say it was vegan. Oh, okay. I you said it was say- inspired by all the vegan Caesars we've been seeing out in the world. Got it. This is just an alt Caesar. So you were like, I tip my hat to you vegans with my cashew content. Yeah. But I also- That's not why I'm developing it though. No, you forked in the road and you were like, I left the vegans behind when I picked up the the bottle of fish sauce. And then also put boiled eggs on the salad. (laughs) So like, smell you later, sorry. (laughs) I love you guys. (laughs) Love you, vegans. Okay, so salted roasted cashews. Correct. Okay, And then rice vinegar. So all of these ingredients are kind of leaning a little bit more Asian. There's um, fish sauce in it, Mm -hmm. garlic, obviously, rice vinegar. And then instead of olive oil, you're emulsifying in vegetable oil. So this happens in a blender, and it gets really thick and creamy. But I think the thing that made people go crazy was the fish sauce. It's just that little, like, yeah. umami, what Salty. the hell is that element mm-hmm. that Very. you're unexpected. And I think it kind of just takes it to the next level. Well, I'll speak for myself. There were a couple of things that really did it for me with this dressing, which is 
um, really easy. You're just putting all of this into a blender with a little bit of warm water to get everything going, I'm yeah. guessing. Mm -hmm. Cashew oil, rice vinegar, a three-quarter teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes, which is a not not insignificant amount of heat. That's why we call it spicy cashew dressing. Cor correct. And the fish sauce, honey, garlic, salt. So what I loved about it was the balance between the spiciness and the fa the fattiness mm -hmm. which i think you get definitely from the cashew like sweetness but also nutty like that nutty toasty mm -hmm. but cashews are so sweet mm -hmm. and they're also so fatty mm -hmm. and then why did you choose vegetable oil instead of olive oil like do, is an olive oil just better because it has more flavor um i didn't want there i didn't want the flavor of the olive oil to overpower all the other beautiful elements that were coming into balance in this dressing so it felt like kind of it was throwing in a curveball got it um, and do you do that with your your caesar as well or do you do you do 100 olive i usually do three quarters neutral and then finish it with a little bit of olive but i'm like not opposed to a full neutral oil caesar okay so if anybody is like weirded out by the sound of the fish sauce just think about anchovy in a classic exactly. caesar which you need that little, a little bit of funky umami, savory richness. Yeah, it's not fish forward this at all. This dressing was good enough to have as a dip. So I just want to oh, say yeah. that. Shout out to all the dip lovers. Shout out to the dip lovers. Or just shout out to our hand salad people who... Oh, people like you. People like me who just want to have dressing and crunchy lettuces and combine them together. Let's talk about nut toasting for a second because this recipe just calls for salted roasted cashews but there's also a section in the story where we talk about toasting nuts specifically so what are your rules around that so my rules around toasting nuts are I always toss them with a little bit of oil and then season them that way the salt sticks to them uh -huh. that's the really the only purpose of tossing them with the oil and then always toasting in the oven never in a skillet they toast unevenly in a skillet unless they're as small as like a sesame seed okay which is a seed not a nut but still there what i don't even toast pine nuts in a skillet i think the only time that i toast nuts in a skillet and it's something i learned from andy baragani i know what you're gonna say what you're, you're toasting them in fat yeah yeah a lot of oil like yeah. they're covered and so and they're getting they're cooking evenly correct because that's your cooking medium is your hot oil right which when i did that for the first time it was sort of like very eye-opening i mean i love a nut toasted in butter in a saucepan or skillet i mean you're not a monster yeah i mean <laughs> who doesn't okay but so for just you're like straight down the middle like need a roasty toasty nut moment yeah you're going in the oven okay then the other thing that's interesting about this so they're coated with a little oil they're sprinkled with a little bit of salt and they're going into a 325 degree oven which is kind of low it sounds low-ish. Yeah. I mean, I hardly low. ever mess around with the 325 unless I'm braising. Not even for a nut? Well, maybe <laughs> now I will. <laughs> so because of how high fat nuts are, they have a tendency to burn. And not that they would burn at 375, but they will cook faster on the outside than they will on the inside and therefore cook unevenly. So 325 is a temperature that allows it to heat all the way through at a consistent temperature and therefore you have a deeply golden brown nut from the inside out. Right. When you take your nuts out of the oven, don't just look at the surface color. Break cut, into it. Break one in half. Cut your walnut. Cut your hazelnut. Whatever it is. And it should be brown to the center. Yeah. And how many nuts were burned in the making of this story, Molly? I think I burned more nuts when I was toasting them in butter for oh. the basically tortellini recipe, actually, because that happens so fast. Got it. When they're in fat in on the stovetop, they cook in like three or four minutes. The low temperature gives you a little bit more leeway, so they're not likely to burn from one minute to the next. Got it. So but, that's another safety. But nuts are expensive, everyone, so set your timers. Do set your timers. And we did a nice thing for you, and we timed all of the different nuts and how long they take because oh, oh. they do not cook at the same no they rate. do that is quite a range walnuts at nine minutes hazelnuts 17 seven and you know how i feel about a well-toasted hazelnut how do you feel about it i have no love for anything that is less 
toasted than a dark caramel. Interesting. In the hazelnut world. So a blanched hazelnut, you are just like, get gone. Oh, she pointed to, is that one not toasted enough for I you? I do not think so. You should talk to Morocco about this. This was like one of the first things Morocco and I bonded about was like how, how much we love a well-toasted hazelnut specifically. So this is the kind of conversation that people have when they meet each other in the Tesco. Yeah. It's like, hey, what's your name? Where do you live? Where? How long have you worked here? Tell, talk to me about how toasted you like your hazelnut. I think it was more along the lines of like, I was walking by his station one day and I caught eye of a little sheet tray of nuts that he had just pulled out of the oven and I was like I see you and I see what you did there and I really respect you for it and he knew exactly what you were yeah, talking he was about like, yeah, yeah. the nuts I know <laughs> the hazelnuts um okay so that's very helpful and then it does make me want to ask because I've been tempted many times standing in front of the nut aisle what about a nut that you buy? You know, you can buy toasted almonds. You can buy toasted walnuts. I feel like you can only buy toasted... Well, I guess they're called roasted when they're peanuts. Okay. They're called roasted when they're they called, really? when you buy them at the store. Why? I don't know. Oh. They're not... Roasted almonds. They're not called toasted almonds. Interesting. They're called roasted almonds, <laughs> roasted peanuts, roasted cashews. But you don't see roasted walnuts. I've never seen that. Okay. So what if you could buy a roasted pistachio? I think in a pinch, go for it. But I do believe in the freshly toasted nut. You I know, knew you were going to say that. Well, that's why you <laughs> asked. It's really a softball question. So guys, buy your nuts natural. They are call- they're not called raw. Did you know about that? Because oh, that's a thing. You can't have a raw. It's something about the way they're uh, processed a, or something. Yeah, it's a food safety thing. Yeah. So they're not raw. They're usually labeled natural. But if they're labeled natural almonds, they are have not been roasted or toasted. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, the best case scenario. But nuts will go bad, so keep them in the fridge. Or freezer. Or freezer. If you have room in there. Yeah. Next all your you know stock venison meat if you're bad (laughs) okay the other salad that really got my heart rate going was i'm not even kidding i don't go to every tasting anymore as you know we miss you and i miss you guys too but you know for my health and well-being it was a necessary decision but when it came time for salad development i was there for that yeah and this is one of the ones that we talked about a lot um little wedge salad with sour cream dressing we talked a lot about the name Mm -hmm. but we also talked about what was happening and about iceberg iceberg controversial oh my god the queen of the lettuces so uh, that's how i feel about iceberg but iceberg you do i love iceberg Love it so much. But it does get like a, uh, you know, like this pedestrian, like, well, if you like the flavor of nothing. Yeah. If you like water. If you like. Well, actually, I love water. but (laughs) I love water so much. It is water in like a solid form. It is the mildest of the lettuces as far as flavor goes, but not as far as texture goes. Nothing beats the crunch. Nothing. You and can't especially even close. the cold crunch. Well, that is what I was getting to. Okay. The temperature, you know, this is the thing like in the, you know, one of the ways you can tell if a restaurant is worth its muster or whatever is like you order a salad and it should be on a chilled plate. Uh-huh. And that really came up when we were talking about this because you were very deliberate about how the temperature of the iceberg itself and the size of these wedges. Right. So this particular recipe was inspired by the classic wedge salad. And I thought to myself, what are the things that I love most about most about the wedge? And the bacon and the blue cheese were not them. Got it. And the out-of-season tomatoes were certainly not a part of it. You don't like a pale pink half I don't care for it, no. <laughs> yeah, that's never been, I think on a classic wedge also, I feel that the tomato is gratuitous. Completely not. That's another podcast, but but why? Right. Like, for who? Maybe in the middle of summer, but also just, like, have a tomato salad. Right. So I distilled the wedge down to its most basic parts and the things that I care about most in the wedge, which are the iceberg, the extremely cold iceberg. Okay. And the very creamy, very tangy dressing. Right. A lot of wedge salads will do, like, a quarter or a sixth of the head of... 
the iceberg. So yeah. it's like takes a, it's like a big, you know, steak wedge of iceberg going across your plate. These are not that. These are like adorable round bottom pyramids. Yeah. So as much as I love that presentation at the classic steakhouse, I don't feel like it optimizes the eating experience. No, it is hard to get maximum dressing coverage. Precisely. Like too many layers, too much real estate. And and you're cutting it with a knife and fork and everything's flying all over the place and slip sliding. And it's yeah. just like not an ideal situation for no, me. No, because the dressing has been applied to the surface and it's just not, it's not getting. What about all those interleaves? Yeah, what about all those interleaves? I don't know. They get neglected and then they end up on the plate. And they're like, just because we were the inside leaves doesn't mean no we love. didn't want dressing. We did. So we did something about that. I did something about you that. You sure did. And so this is a salad that is comprised of a bunch of little baby wedges. So how do you make a baby? So if you're starting from a big wedge, like if you have your head of lettuce, yeah. you have your iceberg, you cut it in half, then you put it down on its flat side and you cut it into three wedges from there? Yeah, you would cut it then like through the root into three equal parts and then each of those either in half or in thirds so that you're making a bunch of little irregular triangle shaped wedges got it so the round the base is really what was the outside of the lettuce right. and then you're sitting it on that little bottom bottom boat little and it go, goes up into this like Beak. yeah on an onto an angle adorable and Very also cute. utilitarian it's not just about looks. We're solving a, a problem. We're solving a very urgent important problem. Yeah, like a national emergency <laughs> related to dressing coverage. Yeah. And inner level levels and layers. It stops now. <laughs> okay. So the dressing, I, mean, I am a little bit, my eyebrow did what the, they went in opposite directions and they went really high when you said you don't care about the blue cheese part. Yeah. Not to throw shade on blue cheese, of course, but Why? Well, I'm not a huge fan of blue cheese, but also I feel like the whole point of the wedge salad is the creamy versus the watery crunchy. And that can be achieved through a really tangy, rich dressing. Okay. And that alone. So you don't need any funk. You don't need any sour of the blue cheese. But blue cheese also has a lot of salt. This dressing has a lot of salt. Okay, so what's in this dressing? <clears throat> so sour cream dressing has um, three quarters of a cup of sour cream and a little bit of mayonnaise. It has grated garlic, a little bit of lemon zest, lemon mm. juice, salt, and pepper. So it's really, really simple. Mm-hmm. It's kind of inspired by buttermilk dressing, like a mm-hmm. buttermilk ranch. I know, I was going to say, but... But there's no buttermilk. There is no buttermilk, but there's lemon juice. There's lemon juice, and then there's both sour cream and mayonnaise. So it's richer than a buttermilk dressing. And I originally had started with buttermilk in it and I felt like it wasn't holding up enough. There's so much water in iceberg that a fat like buttermilk, which is already part skim, wasn't holding its own. Yeah. Buttermilk is a, it's got the tanginess going for it and the dairy like fattiness, but it's pretty low. It's It's actually very low fat. It's like one and a half percent. Right. So I wanted something richer because I know that when you bite into an iceberg wedge, there's a lot of water in there. And so sour cream is a little bit salty. Mayonnaise, definitely. You've got your garlic for a little bit of tanginess and the lemon zest and the juice and a measured amount of salt. Yeah. We're not seasoning to taste. This is like... Because you're probably not seasoning it enough. Intentional. And then, okay, so fine. You didn't want to have blue cheese, but then there's avocados oh yes so back to that point of the creamy versus cold and crunchy right I felt like in order to drive home that juxtaposition that an avocado was a nice way to get a different kind of fat in there it's kind of like bridging the gap between a fatty pourable consistency to a solid crunchy consistency you have a solid fatty that also gets dressed. Yeah. So it's right. a bridge. Right. It really Between is. And it's rivers. not bacon. No. No. Um, what is the trick to keeping the iceberg very cold? Like, do you cut it and put it back in the fridge? I would cut it and then plate it immediately. Got it. Or if you're doing an advance, cut it into wedges, put it on the platter because this 
salad gets dressed on the platter, oh. not in a bowl, because you want to maintain the integrity of those little pyramid shapes. And if you were to toss it all, it would all come apart. Got it. And so it's getting dressed on the platter anyway. So if you're doing this in advance, you could cut them all up, arrange them on a platter, cover them lightly, and chill it until make your dressing and chill it until you're ready to serve. I'm having people over for dinner on Saturday. And I feel like this might need to be served. But there's one more salad. I know. And that's the ice water salad. Another great entertaining option. Right. Oh, I think that's a good, like, going from very cold to actual ice. Right. So how is this original, this story originally, let's just give shout out to Emil Stanek. Yeah. Because I believe at some meeting or another, he just said the words ice water salad yeah gave no explanation it was a pitch meeting and you just said ice water salad and everybody was like approved (laughs) (laughs) we don't know what it is six people were like sounds great love it ice what you'll tell me what it is later yeah um and then it's sort of you know the salad story came along and then everybody was like what about ice water salad and it ended up here so what the hell is an ice water salad an ice water salad is a salad comprised of thinly shaved vegetables that get stored in a big bowl of freezing cold ice water to help them maintain their crispness. As opposed to room temperature ice water. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) I just want to make that distinction. (laughs) Freezing cold Well, you could have a bowl with like a couple ice cubes in there. Yeah, no. This is like we are going. It's like very cold. A lot of frigid. ice. A lit, just enough water to loosen so, so the ice can cling around. Exactly. And you're shaving the veg. Is this a mandolin situation? Definitely. Okay. So in this bowl, I'm looking at the photograph that ran, and it is, you can see ice cubes. And then there's all manner of very colorful. I see some watermelon radish. Are those purple radish or is that... Mm-hmm. Purple radishes. Daikon radish. Daikon. There's fennel. Um, bon Appetit's favorite vegetable. <laughs> Cucumbers? No. no. Those are green radishes. Got it. It's gorgeous. So it's any crunchy vegetable. You could use cucumbers. You could use turnips, kohlrabi. You know you know that people are putting carrots in this. And you have you, to be okay oh, with you, that. No. You yes. cannot use you carrots. <laughs> you know, if you're allowed to put a turnip... And a radish. A carrot, fine. Texturally is like right next this door. Might, you know what? This might be the only way I'll eat a carrot. Carrot coins? Uh, yeah, a carrot coin. Okay. Uh, except for in matzo ball soup. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> okay. So you've shaved your veg. And then is the water salted? No. Okay. This is just a technique for storing the vegetables until you're ready to serve them. Mm-hmm. So it's a great dinner party trick because... Mm-hmm. If you were to shave all these vegetables and then just throw them in a bowl in the fridge, eh, sad town. Definitely. And so right before you serve this, you pluck off the ice, drain them, spin them in your salad spinner. Definitely. And then they get tossed with this really yummy banya cauda-y, garlic-y anchovy vinaigrette. Right. Okay. So the dressing is very, very flavorful because actually in part of the soaking, I think the, like the radishes and stuff would deflame a little bit. So there any like spicy little bite that they've got mm-hmm. might, it might mellow everybody out. Yeah. Actually. Which is okay because all there is is radishes and fennel it's a lot you know (laughs) and then they also get curly right yeah yeah it's nice for the aesthetics okay that's very cool so we have to wrap it up and i want to just say that i am so committed to getting water off of salad that i know how to be a human salad spinner have you ever been in like an airbnb or on the road, or just like not in the house that you're normally in, and there's no salad spinner. Uh, yes, and my personal technique yes. is I want to know how you do it. Okay, so I would wash the lettuces in a bowl the same way we would if we had a salad spinner. Lift them up, maybe drain them in a colander, and then I would put them in a big dish towel. Yes, wrap it up like in a little log. Yeah, 
close the two ends yes. and whip it around in circles above my head. Exactly. Like a lasso. So I do all of the things the same. If there's a clean um, kitchen towel, that right. is a good because it makes you can make like a hobo pack, you know, <laughs> like get everything bundled up. But instead of going like around my head, like yeehaw, I just do a windmill with my arm. Oh, that's good. So um, you get really good leverage. You have to go outside though because it sends like streams water. of water all yeah. over the place. So I'm really, I'm glad that we both it's just all about centrifugal force. Yeah. In the event that you don't have a salad spinner or don't care to invest in this genius salad spinner that we mentioned earlier, just grab a dish towel. Just grab a dish towel, hobo it up. And just like, it also is like just a great like shoulder rotation. Yes. Switch arms. Just open it up. (laughs) Um, I'm hungry for salad now officially. Okay. Let's go eat some salad. Great. Andy, I have lots of herb questions great like i feel like every time i buy a nice bunch of cilantro there it is a week later like half a bunch all limp just like sitting in my crisper drawer staring at me (laughs) i thought you were gonna say whenever i buy a bunch of cilantro i think of you but no (laughs) no it's just like it's every time i'm like oh there's a half cilantro i should have used but i didn't use and then i'm thinking like well should i have stored it differently how should i be storing my herbs absolutely why does like if is basil an herb i don't even know basil is an herb okay why does it always turn black when it's in my refrigerator like that bothers me like should i be washing my herbs like which ones do i have to wash which ones don't i have to wash Herbs are supposed to be simple and easy, and you throw them on your whatever, but they're not. So let's talk about storing and washing herbs. How about that? Okay, let's start okay. there. The ones I don't wash are kind of the hard woodsy herbs. Rosemary, thyme, sage. Oregano. Oregano. Marjoram, your marjoram. favorite. Marjoram, <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to the tender herbs, the nice tender leaves of parsley, basil, dill, cilantro. Chervil uh, for you fancy chervil, French people. Love. Uh, what I do is I'll buy the bunch. What I'll, about tarragon? Is tarragon a tender herb? Tarragon is a tender yeah, herb. Yeah. I give it a good trim, maybe depending on how big the bunch is. Like Wait, what, what does that mean, a good trim? A trim on the, uh, towards the base. Oh, of the stems? Of the stems, okay. yeah, yeah. So like two inches. And then from there, I throw the whole bunch in my uh, salad spinner. And then from there, I cover yeah. with cold water mm-hmm. and just give it, kind of agitate the whole thing, get any kind of dirt... Dill gets really dirty. Basil gets really dirty. Can I just say, as an editor, I love the ad, the agitate, verb, agitate, agitate, and just kind of oh, yeah. shake it just around. Shake it there. around. It's like when you're like, you find a little kid and you rub his head. You know, like that's what you're doing to the to the herbs. I don't have a kid it, yet. But sure. <laughs> Andy's like that sounds a little creepy, but yeah, I do, if you have a kid, you do that to their hair. <laughs> and then once you kind of wash your herbs in your salad spinner, all the kind of grit is going to fall to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then I always do this in a salad spinner so that I could pick the kind of. Um, the ventilated the basket. the basket up and then all the kind of dirty water will be in the bowl i'll toss that out and then give it a spin then you have these dried clean herbs i guess now that i think about it a lot of times if you buy flat leaf parsley at your grocery store or something it's often not sandy but if you do sometimes get them at farm stands sometimes mm. if the roots are still attached especially with basil especially they can basil. get really sandy sometimes Quite you got to sometimes you got to rinse them twice you got to rinse them twice i find dill be is usually the one that's always has some sand in it really yeah mm. for sure okay. and then but once it's cleaned that's when it gets the you just you have these great clean herbs and they're ready to use but if you're going to store them wait 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 wait, wait. Are we doing the spin in yeah, the Yeah, you spin, the you dry them. Yeah, yeah, I said that. So you they dry. The, I don't do the whiz whiz. I do the pool. Okay, so so you dry them off. You dry them off, and then what I do is I take paper towel or a kitchen towel that's just kind of has a sprinkling of water, barely, spritz. not even, yes, yeah, spritz, not even that damp. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrap the towels really gently. I don't pack them in. Uh, fold them in the paper towel or kitchen towel. And I kind of store them this way so that you need a little bit of water to keep them fresh so they don't wilt. But then I also toss this kitchen towel into a uh, resealable plastic bag. Okay, so... This is the way my mother did it. Yeah, no, no. And I I like the resealable plastic bags. And I would also just in the the name of uh, frugality, but also but environmental sensitivity, you can certainly constantly reuse those bags absolutely you know they just just rinse them off let them dry do you do the thing though 
where you then press all the air out of the bag when you seal it, so it's like vacuum sealed. I don't. I like press, to do that. I don't press out all the air. I don't know. I, it just. It's usually because I have so many herbs and it's mm-hmm. kind of packs. It's mm-hmm. packed into the the bag. Do your herbs? Do your herbs mingle? Do you have different herbs in one bag? Uh, it depends on the situation. Like I grew up eating something. We always had salad, but it would be. We usually had salad. What we always had was a platter of sabzi khordan, which is basically. So you grew up in a Persian American household. Grew up in a Persian household. So yeah. I think you, you're, you're like as we talked about, you're a doctor herb here at. Uh, I was going to say the prince of herbs, but sure. The doctor, prince of herbs, yes. Doctor <laughs> herbs, why not? <laughs> I think uh, prince of herbs is better. <laughs> and sabzi khordan is really just—it's a platter of raw herbs, a mix of different herbs from uh, parsley, cilantro, dill, mint. Some, Mint. You'll see, sometimes mint. see savory in there. Mm. But not a tender herb. That's yeah. a, a, a woody, a hard herb. But then uh, we just eat it by the handful to but, go with our meals. Like, what? just raw, whole leaves. Just grabbing. Just them. grab them like, like a big pile full. You would eat. Throughout so give the us meal. a typical meal that that might accompany in a perfect sense. So for example, there's a dish called fesinjun. It's a really rich uh, stew you eat in the fall, winter, and it's made with uh, pomegranate molasses, pomegranate juice, sometimes ground walnuts, usually chicken, but you can ma- make it with beef or, or lamb, turmeric, and it becomes this like dark, almost sticky, uh, deep brick color that's like sweet and sour you eat that with rice and because like the stew is so heavy mm-hmm. you need something kind of to bring it back to life yeah. and that's why you always eat a platter of herbs with it sabzi and i think that's one thing we talk about so we have this big story in our may issue in the basically section the back of the magazine uh, where we sort of teach people how to cook uh, on herbs particularly as we're discussing the more tender herbs mm-hmm. at this time of year you'll find everywhere I feel like the average sort of typical American home cook is probably more tentative with their herb usage than they should be. Yeah, I think it's because it's what we've seen so much of in restaurants, I think, almost. Like you see a... Still, a lot of Russians will do like a sprig of something on top mm-hmm. as a garnish. Uh, you know, Herbs I hate, I hate when they gar- put like one sprig of basil on oh. top of the pasta. Oh. I'm like, what oh, am I supposed to do with that? It. Or a, a mint leaf on a chocolate dessert. Yeah. I can't say You know it. what I do love, though? I love, I've become a big fan. I'm going to credit my wife, Simone, with this because she's a, she's a big herb user. She's a Baragani fan. Um, but incorporating fresh mint into so many savory recipes like every anything from like a lot of times i'll make the kind of a boiled smashed potato sort of thing Uh with oil you know boil the new potatoes and then kind of smash them up a little bit just throw a big handful Handful of fresh mint there with the olive oil and salt it brings this freshness to it and And fragrant and fragrant that aroma that's really unique specifically to mint i think i don't know why we're so scared i do think it's it's uh it it's it's takes time, I think, to use herbs. Once, if you're just using them whole, it's easy. But to chop them, it's kind, mm-hmm. it can be definitely labor intensive. All right, before we're going to talk about chopping because that's another very handy thing. You using a lot of herbs again, it because it especially towards the end of a cooking process. If if you have a long stew or reduced sauce or something, hitting it with that big handful of herbs, all of a sudden, just like the dish. It wakes pops. up. Yeah, yeah, it wakes up. What I actually like to do, I think a lot also, for example, like take take a pasta dish. You'll see a lot of pasta dishes in restaurants where the herbs are on top. Mm-hmm. But I will never do that. I always add my herbs and fold it in. That see, bit of heat. All right, so that's interesting. So we, the other day, Molly, Boz, and I were doing this recipe video for my pork marbella recipe, mm-hmm. which everyone's talking about. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so we had this sauce, the pan sauce after the, the pork tenderloins were cooked, and we were slicing the, the pork and we were plating it, and we were going to sort of drizzle the sauce on top of the pork, and then I was like, oh, let's hit it with some fresh flat leaf parsley after that and she's like no no no. you want to fold it into the pan sauce yes, while it's exactly. still in the pan so then it does incorporate a little bit but it's still at the last minute yes it, it's so that it becomes one with the dish yeah and not so separate and just as a garnish that's what i like to do whether it's a stew braise or a pasta dish um one thing we i, I think i don't I, I know i certainly don't do as a home cook but i do think you see at restaurants especially more 
Can we come up with a new term for farm to table? But I don't know. But uh, you know I what I mean. Say, yeah, I know exactly. Those sort mean. of restaurants that do a really good job of using herbs in salads as if they were lettuce leaves. Like you might have one type of lettuce, but you can also tons of flat leaf parsley and mint and cherubal and dill just tossed in there in equal proportion with the lettuce. I think it's something it just gives it more uh, just complexity. Like take it, let's say like a wedge. Just I think we have uh, from April 2018, the kind of the new wedge we did. And rather than like a lot of bacon, we topped it with a bunch of different types of tender herbs. Yeah. And that goes really well. I mean, as much as I love like a good butter lettuce or, you know, um, what's the one everyone loves these days? Little gem. Little gem. But it can get a little redundant. Yeah, they're leafy, they're tender, but flavor-wise, it's like a little flat. Okay, so we want to use more herbs in your salads. That's a great way to, especially if you have them in your fridge. Like, yes, that's that's my problem. I I don't think about that. Then they go bad or they just wilt. But it's like, yeah, if you're making a salad, throw some herbs in there. And any sauce, incorporate it in the sauce instead of throwing it on top of the dish at the very end. I would just tear them. You don't even need to really. Okay. Tear, chop, mince. There's lots of different ways to approach an herb. Yes, except for chiffonade. We don't use that anymore. Oh, I like to, I like to do a chiffonade sometimes. Really? Well, Still? Sometimes I'll take, if I'm doing, a, you know, I'm going to tell you when I do a chiffonade. So, and it is a ridiculous word. It's like if it's summertime and I'm doing some sort of like caprese salad and I've got the fresh mozzarella torn up and whether it's tomatoes or figs or peaches, I just like to get the basil, roll a bunch of leaves up like a little cigar, mm-hmm. and then slice across on the bias. So you get these little like uh, yeah. ribbons, and then I'll sort of sprinkle that over over the the salad because I mean I I know that the torn is more kind of cool and rustic and devil may care, but there's something I like this. The it's little, very satisfying. The ribbons, the it's very satisfying. You slice it against, yes. and then all of a sudden it rolls out and you have this like, confetti of uh, basil. But it also, I like the fact that you have these thin ribbons that equally disperse over like your caprese salad in a way that sort of like, it's not just in bunches here or there. Mm-hmm. So I, yes, but yeah, it's it's very cooking school like that is 1983 old school definitely 1983 something i i don't i don't use that uh, cut anymore but i i will use the leaves whole and when i say whole that means like a bit of leaf uh a leaf with a bit of a tender stem so like a flat leaf parsley flat leaf parsley you'll pick you'll pick off the leaves but maybe a a suggestion of stem there exactly and i'll throw it into a, a salad or i'll make my own little herb salad on its own Oh. Well, that was another thing. That was like, sorry, I'm, I, I really have so many more thoughts about herbs Good. than I even knew. <laughs> but I remember it was such a revelation um, when Fergus Henderson opened St. John Restaurant in London years ago, and the St. John Cookbook came out, which is this sort of transformative mm-hmm. cookbook. Um, the bone marrow. The bone marrow, but he was served with the parsley salad. Exactly. And it was just parsley, like red wine vinegar or maybe something. Maybe shallots. Yeah, maybe some shallots. Yeah, salt. And salt, salt. And it was like this revelation of like, Wait, I'm just eating parsley, but it was such the perfect complement to that rich, fatty, exactly. unctuous bone marrow and vinegary and bright and acidic. You're just like, wait, that's all that's you have all to you do can... sometimes. Yeah. Parsley you know? is still, I think, underrated. Hundred percent. I really love parsley. It it's it it is the all-purpose herb. I feel like. Yeah. It always is there for me whenever I need it. So sometimes you'll use a whole one. And sometimes I'll use a whole I've, one. I've seen you at your cutting board, Andy, like yeah. with surgical Stained. precision <laughs> going at herbs. Let's talk about the the mic. I want to. I call it those Molly the micro mints. The micro mints. I'm for that. So I'll do micro mints. Sometimes mm, just herb powder. Uh, I'll go from whole to uh, a tear mm-hmm. to a rough chop. A sometime. rough chop. Like yeah. what's a rough chop compared to whole? A like, rough chop is probably around. Maybe half an inch. And in what size. will you do that for? Sometimes just to uh, throw in a. I'll throw that in. Let's say if I'm doing a, maybe a tabbouleh salad, something uh, yeah. like that. Okay, yeah. So an herb salad, like yeah. I mean a grain salad a grain or something. Salad, exactly. Yeah, you don't want it super fine. Exactly. Um, and then with the really fine stuff, I use f- uh, for all my salts verdes and all the variations. Okay. I think that it should be the herb should be really finely minced, uh, just so you. 
you want them to kind of extract their oils and mm. so you actually want to re- you want you do want to release everything that's in there. Oh yeah, I think like for salsa verde, it's totally okay to go over your herbs and bruise your herbs. Okay, can we talk salsa verde versus chimichurri versus? I feel like these are pretty loose terms, and everyone yes. has their own interpretation of these are just what they mean. Green sauces. Yeah. So and what is like, so what is the Andy Baragani salsa verde? So I would say I have like a base recipe. Uh, which always consists of parsley. That tends to be the kind mm-hmm. of the herb that doesn't go away. Uh, there might be another herb in the form of cilantro. Uh, this is like a supporting player. Cilantro, maybe tarragon, maybe chives. And I'll have like this finely chopped, or excuse me, like herb powder of sorts. Uh, some kind of allium, so that could be shallots, that could be green garlic, that could be regular garlic, that could be a red onion. And then uh, some kind of acid, either in the form of vinegar or citrus. So really, herb, an allium, citrus, and then fat in the form of olive oil. Almost, I'll say, so, I'll take that back, almost always olive oil. Sometimes I'll use a neutral oil, okay. uh, depending on what kind of sauce. So if it's, let's say, I'm doing a sauce that's uh, supposed to go with a dish that's more Mediterranean, I'll do olive oil. But for example, uh, in an upcoming issue, I have a, in our next issue, in our grilling issue, I have a salt and pepper grilled black bass and I have a curry salsa verde. So I used a neutral oil for that because the curry goes better with a neutral oil rather than olive oil. Gotcha. One thing I know I sometimes struggle with is how do we incorporate all those ingredients together to form a sauce? So I think a lot of people add too much fat to their herb sauces. Yep. I think the trick is to kind of start with your add your vinegar first. So you'll you'll micro mince all your herbs. I'll micro mince all my herbs. Chef's knife on a cutting board, mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, and then that's that's set aside. And then I'll macerate the alliums, whether it's shallot or garlic, in a bit of acid. Mm-hmm. And that uh, just sort of takes the sting out. That just takes the stings out. Sting out. Sometimes I've been known to kind of rinse. Uh, the onion or shell with a bit of cold water. Deflame it. Yeah, to deflame it. And then uh, I'll add the oil to the herbs. So I have like kind of a herbal herb oil going on. And you could do those two things ahead of time. You have your like vinegary allium situation and then your oily herb situation. And then when you want to serve it, I combine them and let them sit 50 minutes. I don't make the herb sauce too early on because then the alliums are going to overpower the sauce and it's going to discolor the herbs. But you could do those two things ahead of time. What about salt? When does salt come into play? Salt, I salt the... um, uh, vinegar and alum mixture right okay, then and there. Sure. And then when it all comes together, I'll season it again. Taste um, just. Do you ever use chilies? I use chilies. That's the thing. There's so many. Ver- that's the base recipe. So yeah. from there. So if you want a little bit of heat. You want a little bit of heat. Throw in a little minced chili. Dr- minced chili or dried chili. Where Simone and I always have our little dis- kitchen disagreements. Mm-hmm. She always wants to add anchovies. I think a bit of anchovies is great, depending on, again, what's the purpose. Like, if it's a grilled piece of meat, I want an anchovy or two. To have a little more backbone? Oh, yeah. I think, like, anchovy does something magic with, like, red meat, like lamb and beef. Mm. It's so delicious. I love my fresh chilies just as much as I like my dried chilies. Sometimes you want a bit of mustard as, like, another form of heat and acid, whether that's Dijon or you could get texture through whole grain. Now, will you, because I know you're pretty particular about your herbage, will you make a batch of this and store half of it in the fridge, or are you the type that always has to have it made fresh No, that I'm, I'm that asshole who's <laughs> making it right then and there. And at well, let time, me say, could I store half of it in the fridge and th- use it two days later? I think, uh, yeah, definitely. I think you can make it uh, ahead of time and use it a day later, maybe two days later. Sometimes it just gets too garlicky. Yeah. So that's the that's a problem with it, but um, I love salsa verdes. That sauce, it just it's never gonna go away. One one last thing. I, what one years ago I was somewhere, and a chef, who wish I could remember. This is such an elemental thing, which I just never thought of. They were using cilantro in one dish, and then took all the stems and just did a little fine little mince of those and like that. sprinkled it over a dish. And you have these little crunchy pops of, of cilantro flavor with bite without it being cilantro leaves. So I really saw that for the first time 
at uh, Estella in New York. Ignacio does that. He'll do that with the lamb ribs. Mm. He'll have like this green juice on the bottom of the plate, or sometimes it's a green juice, sometimes it's actually like a salsa verde where it has more texture. But he'll take the cilantro stems and really finely chop it. And they're, they're, the stems are actually have a more concentrated cilantro flavor than the actual leaf. Yeah. And he'll sprinkle that underneath. And you can do those other herbs, but a lot of it just depends on how sturdy or fine the stems are. And if, they get, if they're too sturdy, then this, it doesn't quite Yeah, work. I like to do it with cilantro and I like to do it with parsley. Mint it can get a little yeah. bit bitter. Basil, it's fine. You just never really have enough stem to yeah. kind of go about it that way. Uh, Andy Bergani, the, what are we calling you? Not the Prince of Herbs. Prince of Herbs? Prince of Herbs, sure, why not? Prince of Herbs. Um, I don't want to be a kid. (laughs) You'll get there one day. Thank you for joining us. And you can find our article, our primer on herbs in the May issue of Bon Appetit uh, on Stands Out. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Adam. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.